0: Hello, my name is Holger Sontag, and I uh, want to invite all of you to the symposium on April 28th in Philadelphia as part of the AANS uh, annual meeting. The symposium uh, will be uh, preceding the main meeting, uh, and it will consist of uh, major uh, individuals in the spine field that will uh, do presentation, and then it will be followed by an uh, evening of uh, uh, camaraderie, laughter, and friendship. So I hope uh, you all can come to this uh, in this year, to April 28th in Philadelphia. Looking forward to seeing you.
1: This is the Neurosurgery Podcast.
0: Well, I'm here at the Texas Association of Neurosurgeons, the TANS meeting, and I ran into an old friend and a very, very famous neurosurgeon here named JPJ or John Patrick Johnson. Is that right? <laughs> well, I go by my first initial J, which always confuses
2: everybody. J. Patrick Johnson, one of those guys. So can we
0: call you J and
2: JPJP?
0: JP? <laughs> well, we got you, two JPs. Here. You can call me whatever you want, but that's, that's not confusing at all. <laughs> I answer to a lot of things. I'll call you Dr. Johnson. So, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, a lot of our listeners are younger, but for anybody who's been around this world for a little bit, you know who Dr. Johnson is. Dr. Johnson used to run the spine program at UCLA. Is that correct? That's correct. I did. And back, then
2: back in the, the whole decade of the 90s. the Don Becker days, right? In the Well, Don Becker days, he was my residency chairman in the 80s. And then I joined on the faculty and I was there for
0: 10 years. And and Dr. Johnson then uh, moved on to Cedars Sinai in LA uh, and he ran he runs the spine program there now, right?
2: Yeah, I've been the director of the Cedars uh, spine program since its inception 2001 is when I moved there and I guess that's 21 years now.
0: Great, great. And so we could talk about spine, which I'd love to, and just geek out on it all day long, but there's so many more things to talk about. He's also uh, been on a number of shows, including Dr. Phil's podcast, and he has a book that I bought called Back Pain for Dummies, um, which, which is in that series and fantastic, by the way. <laughs> well, you know,
2: some things you don't publish too much, but uh, yeah, I do a lot of things, wear a lot of hats and uh, you know, it's kind of where I came from that I think you're most interested in growing up on a ranch in Montana. And my dad was a neurosurgeon also, but that kind of gave me a lot of diversity as to you know where I come from is still who I am.
0: Yeah, so I want to get into that, but I mean just by way of introduction so people know the relevance, is that my understanding and and, and Dr. Johnson can correct me on this, is that he is essentially kind of like the official neurosurgeon, um, if there is such a thing for for the the bull riders and the rodeo, and we call it the PBR, the professional bull riders. And he takes care of all these people in Montana and Colorado, Texas, who get injured um, in this amazing athletic endeavor, which I think is probably one of the most dangerous sports there is out there, maybe right behind Formula One. Um, And it's such a fascinating journey. But tell us about how that got started. Well, rodeo is, I think, uh, the original
2: extreme sport. I mean, it was long before cars and anything else. I mean, what was the form of transportation when, uh, you know, um, this country was uh, was populated? I mean, the, the Spaniards brought horses here, and it's how horses uh, were our transportation. It's the way we ran our business, and it's the way the world evolved in uh, North America until there was, uh, you know, autom- automotive uh, transportation. Yeah. Horses were horses were the life in the cattle industry. It's what made the Western U.S. what it is.
0: You know, I know that you also take care of like the NFL and you were at the Super Bowl. Your team won, uh, much to my chagrin. Uh, But but I saw you on the sidelines there in L.A., your home team. Um, But to me, I think about like I, I sit on the sidelines with the Dolphins in Miami and it's a it's a contact sport. People get hurt. But I can't think of another endeavor that is more likely to result in neurologic injury than being bucked off of an 1,800-pound bull? It's it's a violent sport, but what's interesting
2: to me is uh, how few injuries there are in relative comparison. I mean, those cowboys are so tough. They're like Tupperware. I mean, they get beat up, and you know, they're like uh, the most dedicated people you could imagine. The first thing they want to do is go get back on a horse or get back on a bucking bull or something like that. They, that's all they want to do. And uh, they're tough. They're young. They're incredible athletes, and uh, their resiliency is what's what's amazing. I, I've seen some bad injuries and helped take care of them in uh, PBR. The PBR is interesting. It's an offshoot from uh, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. The PRCA has been around, you know, for um, many decades. And um, back back into the '40s or '30s is when it actually originated but professional bull riding was just an offshoot. That is, uh, something that developed really in the, um, in the nineties. And, um, it purely is involving cowboys riding buck and bulls the the rodeo business itself and the rodeo sports and includes horse events, roping events, you know, barrel racing for the girls. And, and so it's a whole diverse group of different, um, endeavors and, and, uh, and events in a professional rodeo, whereas the PBR is just pure bull riding. And that's all they do. And that gets a lot of people excited because, you know, there's always a chance for someone being injured, you know, it's like, they're like gladiators, you know, it's mm-hmm. like going to the Roman Coliseum and people just, you know, the, the, the thrill of seeing somebody, you know, go out there and do battle with... Uh, you know, an animal like that is just amazing. And uh, <laughs> some of the wrecks are amazing, and some of them just walk away from it that you'd never imagine. You know, guys flipped over multiple times and banged up. Amazing. Amazing. amazing.
1: Yeah, that's such an incredible spectacle. I, I think the comparison to the Gladiators is apt. And, I mean, even, even today, you always hear people talk about fans of NASCAR. Some of them watch for the race and some watch for the crashes. And it sounds like there's a, a, a very similar phenomenon happening here. Um it's it's also pretty inspiring to hear you talk about how even after a, a severe or devastating injury, uh these people want to just get back up and get right back on it. And I think that speaks to the personality and the characteristics of someone who would want to go and do that to begin with, much less after an injury like that. Um I, I wonder if just to kind of contextualize this conversation, you could talk a little bit about what kind of injuries you see, what are the general patterns I I assume were you know, we've got people getting thrown from bulls, like you said, anything's on the table, but what's the most common kind of pathology you see when these people get
2: thrown and injured? Well, of course I'm, I'm a neurosurgeon and I'm a spine surgeon and you know, I'm very focused on what I do. I mean, there are medical staff people that take care of all the different orthopedic injuries and, you know, those are the most common ones. I mean, the extremities are the ones that are injured the most. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of colleagues that are across the country in different places. And uh, and that's the most common injury uh, for what I do and my specialty. It's kind of like the consulting work I do for the NFL and uh, and Mike does, is that I'm looking at head injuries and spine injuries and something to do with the neurologic system. And, you know, remain very specialized. I I'm, I'm not out there assessing somebody when they have a a knee injury or something like that. I mean, that's that's somebody else's wheelhouse. And so, uh, you know, I focus on on just those things and it it makes it easier for me. I don't have, you know, the angst of uh, thinking I'm taking care of somebody. I don't know what I'm doing. If somebody has a knee injury and I'm at a rodeo and yeah, they load them up with the EMTs and they take them to the hospital and they get the appropriate care.
0: But you see probably like the facet dislocations and fracture dislocations, but also the late injury, right? The chronic like disc herniations and stuff like that as well.
2: Well, I see people with acute injuries on occasion, but it's, it's interesting. There aren't that many acute spine injuries or head injuries. It's amazing. The, uh, the professional rodeo and PBR has, uh, they haven't mandated it, but they've encouraged it strongly that the bull riding event uh, requires helmets. Wait, or wait they wear helmets suggested. now? Yeah, they wear helmets. I've never
0: seen somebody wear a helmet. Oh, though. yes,
2: they do. Really? Most, most all the time. I'd I see a hat. It, I see cowboy hat. I'd say 90% of the time in, wow. the, in the bull riding event and PBR, which is purely bull riding, uh, they wear helmets, which they should. I mean, I, I was a proponent of that a long time, way back when you know, because it's kind of like when I was growing up, I was a ski racer up in Montana is that they told us to wear helmets and we thought it was kind of dorky to wear a helmet, but you know what? It made sense. And when people started wearing helmets, I was the first one that did it because I had to be a model for my kids and the rest of society. I'm a neurosurgeon and you know, it's safety and prevention are the most important part. You know, so helmets in bull riding, whether it's in the PRCA or the PBR, uh, Probably at the high pro levels and, and actually it's I think it's being mandated in
0: lower levels in the high school and things like that. Helmets, you know, are, are very yeah. common. Now, you know, a, a lot of people armchair this stuff. Like I've never played football in my life, but I'm on the sidelines. You actually have ridden all these giant animals, right? Horses, obviously, right? Bulls. Well, I grew up on a ranch in Montana and that's just part of your everyday
2: life. You go move cattle around and you... Know, put the cattle in the pans and you do the
0: branding, you rope them, and that's just your but, vehicle. Minute, your dad's I, a neurosurgeon, right? This is a hobby or it's like a, a, I mean, I know it's a business too, but like, this is not something you have to do, right? This is something you do because you enjoy it.
2: Well, it, it goes way back. It's got a long, long history is that, uh, you know, my grandfather was in the last of the U.S. Cavalry and my father was born in Arizona on the Mexican border in Nogales. And uh, his father was a U.S. Cavalry officer. Oh, wow. So my dad grew up on a cavalry post. And, you know, and after he finished his neurosurgical training in Virginia in the 40s, he moved to Montana because he wanted to go back and live out west. And so he picked out Montana because there were no neurosurgeons. Wow. So he's the first neurosurgeon, not just in Montana, but a five-state area. Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and both Dakotas. So I do and want to point. come
0: back to your family because your family has a storied history. But you, you've you ridden bulls, right?
2: Yeah. And oh, they're, yeah.
0: How, how big are they?
2: Uh, they go anywhere from twelve hundred to eighteen hundred pounds.
0: Okay, so like 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 Fu Manchu or whatever that bull was that they talked about, right? <laughs> like these famous bulls that are that are legend. The bull's legendary, right? Right. What do they oh, yeah. do to get them pissed off? Like they just don't want people on them. No, or... they're
2: athletes. They're bred to buck, and horses are also they're they're athletes, just like athletes in in our realm. Okay, they're uh-huh. born. Michael Jordan had a lot of brothers, but there was only one Michael Jordan in that family. Right. But athletes are born and they're bred to buck. They're, uh, they're taken very well uh, care of um, you know, just uh, incredible um, athletes themselves. So yeah, I grew up on a ranch and you know, even though my dad was a neurosurgeon in town, um, I rode the horses and then I rode bucking bulls just because they were there. I mean, it was part of my culture growing up on a ranch in Montana. and You know, I knew how to rope and things like that. That didn't offer much challenge to me. It was really challenging to ride a bucking horse. Or,
0: well, I've, I've heard right. horse people, and I know some horse people in Florida, right, in California. They say, like, the horse is the second smartest animal, animal after human. Like, they, they really believe the horses are very intelligent, right? Yeah, they are.
2: They're horses, dogs, uh, pigs also, but not many people have pigs as pets, but... You know, horses, uh, it's a companion animal, just like a dog is. And they are incredibly intelligent. They have a personality. They they can sense your, you know, your uh, happiness, your anger, your angst, your yeah. your anxiety. You know, if I go up to my horse and something's going wrong, he looks at me and he starts shaking a little bit. Yeah. He can sense it better than, you know, Most people, other humans. Right. Yes,
0: yes. But I want to ask you about yeah. this because here in neurosurgery, we're entering this era where, you know, you talk to Elon Musk about the 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 um, the singularity and the idea. And we're, here, we're at this meeting talking about how connecting the human brain up to a machine and we're becoming more and more detached. And coronavirus certainly accelerated this, detached from the real world, if you will, the organic world, right? And there's nothing more organic I can think of than than sitting on top of a 1,800-pound animal (laughs) that's getting ready to to kick your ass, right? I mean, do you find that that dichotomy in your life between going to the operating room, very artificial environment, man-created, to then being on a ranch? Like, it's like opposites, right? In a lot of ways. Well,
2: they're uh, life-saving and life-threatening environments. I mean, that's what they are, is that you have challenges in an operating room except somebody else's life is on the line. Yeah. yeah. If you get on the back of a bucking bull, um, your life is on the line and it's kind of funny. I tell the people, I say, shake your face, cowboy. You know, that means let this bull out with me on him and let him kill me because I can't speak, you know? <laughs> so, so I tell the surgeons when I'm training them, when they're talking and they're concentrating and they can't speak, I say, shake your face, cowboy. You know? <laughs> you know, at least not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, quite an experience, you know, it's, uh, it's an event that's only eight seconds long, but that's the longest eight seconds you'll ever spend in your life on the back of one of those things. If you make it that far, I mean, you've heard, you know, some of those songs out there. (laughs) I only made it on a, on a bull named Fu Manchu, only 2.8 seconds, you know, well, 2.8 seconds is pretty good sometimes. (laughs) But you don't get uh, you don't get a qualifying ride unless you actually stay on for all eight seconds. And the same with the after, yeah, other. Yeah, you know, that's
1: such an interesting. Eternity.
2: Go ahead. Yeah. And that's not very long, you know, It's and it's either on a bucking horse or a bucking bull. But eight seconds is like an eternity.
1: Right. And, and I was going to say that's such an interesting dichotomy because, you know, you're, you're talking about this brief, brief, brief period of time that feels eternal. But I guess on the other the other hat that you wear in your, in your professional life in neurosurgery, we always say that neurosurgery and the training for it is more of a marathon, right? Where you have to maintain and and keep the grind going over long periods of time, which can also feel eternal. And often a single person doesn't usually thrive well in both of those kinds of environments. People are you know, an endurance athlete or a sprinter, right? So what do you think is maybe different about you? Or how do you find the different um, strengths within yourself to be able to maintain for a long career, a long arduous training, but then be able to zero in? And as you said, put your life, put your own body and uh, well-being on the line for that brief, brief, acute period where it's just you and the ball.
2: Well, it's a focused dedication that you have for, you know, what could be in, in us as surgeons is is a career-long experience, but you are practicing it in your mind. You're focused on it. Uh, when you're not in the operating room, you're thinking about it, though. Okay, your mind is focused, and it's, it's a mental intensity and capacity to be able to Think those things through, and you know, every time that you wield an instrument in the operating room, it's uh, it's a brief period of time. You know, how many how many real minutes are you spending during an operation, even a big long one? Okay, five six hour case. I mean, you're in and out of the operating room either physically or mentally a lot. So your focus, if you bring it right down to it, a big five hour operation in and you're doing a big reconstruction on the spine or somebody's brain or something like that. The actual operating room time is not that long. Okay. It's not measured in eight seconds, but you know, you're focusing everything that you are going to do in that event, whether it be a, you know, bucking animal or whether it be a, a, a complex surgery, you, you spend a lifetime working on those things. And, uh, you know, the career of, uh, Rodeo athletes is kind of like NFL football players. It's usually measured in years, but there are a lot of people who uh, they continue that on beyond. And I mean, people go into different aspects, you know, professional sports. And even though they're not competitors, they're in the business in different ways. I mean, us as surgeons, it's kind of a long haul. You're right. But you know, when, when we go in the operating room, it's getting like getting on the, the back of a bucking animal or a rope horse or something like that. I mean, we've been thinking about it. We're practiced in our mind. And then we go in there and execute.
0: So how do you get people to focus? So you've worked in a number of different places. I know you've got clinics in multiple states. Your badge says California, Texas and Montana, right? (laughs) Mine just says Florida. Um, How do you get people on the team, whether it's like a fellow or resident or a nurse or anesthesiologist, how do you get them to focus? Because I know you're good at this. How do you get them to concentrate on the important stuff that needs to get done? Well, it's,
2: that's a great question. And I'm not really sure how to answer it, but I'll try. It's, you know, it's leadership uh, that is by example. It is. And I always tell my trainees, no matter who they are, uh, whether it be in the operating room uh, or my office people, or it's people in my agricultural business, uh, there's no job that I won't do or I can't do that. I'm going to ask somebody else to do. Uh, And I tell him it's really simple. Just do it perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. You got great lines. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our, Our fellow downstairs, who's the host of this meeting here in Texas, he loves that quote. He said he went back to San Antonio and he says, Dr. J, he says, I use your quote. He, t- he tells the fellows and the
0: residents, he says, it's really simple. Just do it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out, by the way, to Michael M- uh, McGinnity. Michael McGinnity. He was your fellow guy. and yeah. great guy. He, he invited me and I, I owe it to him that I'm at this wonderful meeting. So it's it's such a fascinating uh, arena that you're in. You know, if you if you were to go back in life like you, how old are you now pat you're are you 60 yet oh yeah no, yep. i passed
2: 60 a couple of years ago so 60 something okay well you look <laughs> great by the way you look great
0: um if you were to go back to when you're young like in your 20s you think you'd do anything different about this because you've, you've really led this amazing life it's like a very special life that you've had well you know what it's that's another great
2: question i always look back and say I had a lot of hard work and I had a lot of fun along the way. And probably the only regret is I didn't do more fun along the way. Never regret doing that. More. I, so
0: what's more fun, more more neurosurgery or more the ranching and, um, and the outdoors life?
2: Friends, family, you know, your life outside of being a neurosurgeon is uh, it, it's so important. I mean... I think when you become a neurosurgeon, you're unfortunately a neurosurgeon your whole life, even when you quit, it's part of your persona and it's part of an excellence that you absolutely have to have to uh, be part of your persona. And, uh, you know, it sometimes can overpower things. Uh, I ask some of the older surgeons, I say, you know, Do you have any words of advice and I listen to them and sometimes all they can talk about is neurosurgery. And, you know, although that's what, uh, is, that's my primary career. I just think that diversity and doing other things in life and, and having different experiences, meet new people, go different places. It's a big world out there. I, I wish I'd seen more of it than I have, you know, and I've traveled every continent, you know, in the world and, uh, I want to go do it all over again. Mm-hmm. That's my only regret. I want to do it again, bigger and better. Just you have know. Just have fun. Just have fun. Yeah. Now, Dr. Johnson, I know you
1: you two are busy at this meeting. we got to respect your time. But before we land this plane, I just I, I have something I have to ask, because you were talking about how your philosophy and your advice is always just do it perfect, just do it perfect. But obviously, we can't always do it perfect. And, you know, we, we just finished this whole series on the podcast asking people about stories and cases they can't forget. And everybody seemed to bring up complications because that seems to gnaw at us as surgeons, I think. But I wonder if we switch your hat back to the bull side of things. When you were riding, did you ever have an accident or an episode or a near miss of your own that you still think back sometimes and go, wow, that was close? Did you ever have any, any scares like that?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, actually, uh, one, of, one of the early uh, bucking horse uh, rides that I had in rodeo, was uh, one of the first ones, and I'm amazed that I kept doing it after that first one is that, uh, you know, the horses usually go out and buck and you see them do it in the arena. But I had a horse just wouldn't go out and buck and ran like like a racehorse all the way around the the whole rodeo arena and literally jumped an eight foot fence at the end of the arena. (laughs) And I was on board (laughs) thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I doing out here? This is crazy, you know. I don't mind the horse bucket, you know, because that's kind of a controlled thing or, you know, it's a rhythm. But when this horse just ran away and launched over an eight-foot fence and in mid-flight, I decided, you know what? This is not getting any better. Halfway over the fence and when the horse cleared the fence, I said, I'm bailing out of here. And there's no saddle, right? Is there a saddle? No, this was a a bareback. Bareback. A bareback event, which you actually have a a, uh, little rigging on the horse, which is like a suitcase handle. That's how big (laughs) it is. You don't have a saddle. Oh my you don't God. have any rein on the horse. You don't have anything. The horse's head is loose and everything. And this horse just took off. And I, I think I was about 12 feet in the air on this horse. And I wow. and I decided I'm getting out here. Wow. You know what they said to me? They said, you know what? You had a bad horse. We'll give you another one. called a re-ride. <laughs> right? Oh, so a re-ride. You didn't have a good horse. The <laughs> horse ran away with you. So they said, do you want a re-ride? You know what I said? Yeah. Of course I do. <laughs> 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 good Lord! Well, I, I was never a great rodeo contestant. Uh, I knew because I had some friends that were my age, you know, and I, that rode buck and bulls that were really good at it. I had some friends that were bronc riders that were really good at it. And I started out when I was in the little britches, you know, in my young teens. And some of these guys were so good at that point, I realized they had it and I didn't. And I was going to have fun at it. And I did for a lot of years and I actually gravitated into a different side that I was a, uh, a, uh, a bullfighter like you see in the PBR, those guys that are on the ground. I did some of that for a few years and, and that actually brought me a regular paycheck and I, I had a little more control and I knew that uh, I could be on my feet and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at risk of injury. So as much as, as much, much yeah, as much yeah, yeah. A different kind of risk. So, yeah, that was a different experience. But.
0: Well, you know, it's it's really interesting as you were giving your talks uh, today and yesterday. It's like as you're putting the slides, if I could feel the, the neurosurgeons in the room, everybody's envious. As all these billionaires are trying to move to Montana, have the perfect life. And everybody's watching Yellowstone, the series on TV. Like you've, you've really lived this amazing life. And, and I do want to thank you for coming on because I think that um, there's a lot of folks listening, maybe locked up for two years in pandemic, just going to the hospital who, who say to themselves, well, I wish I could just get out on a ranch or something like, like Pat Johnson does and, you know, enjoy nature and, and try to be a little bit more unified with all that.
2: Well, I go get on my horse on weekends and go for a ride. That's kind of my out, you know, I leave Los Angeles and go up to my place up in San Inez, which is up near Santa Barbara, and I have my horses up there. So I get to go ride and spend some time on friends' ranches nearby, and then I go up to my place in Montana. So. That's uh, that's how I clear my mind, and uh, you know the out, outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man is uh, uh, a great great quote, but uh, uh, I take it to heart.
0: It really is. Well, Doctor Johnson, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Enjoy the meeting, and look forward to seeing it at WNS.
2: Right. thank you very much, Mike and JP. Great to uh, spend some time with you guys. Thanks again.
1: Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.